Uh, he loves hot food, and you know, I make my own hot sauce. And I was like, I'm gonna make a salsa that's just gonna be crazy. And so I put in, you know, I put in all my habaneros, I put in everything, brought it to the show, and he's on stage playing. And he's like, hold on one second, like stops the set, goes upstairs, comes back down and was like, sorry folks, I just shit fire because Jackie Becker made me too hot a salsa. And I was like, yeah! <laughs> the, greatest, I, the greatest compliment I could ever ask for in my life is Mike watch shit fire over my salsa. All right, big city, yeah. Kansas City, how you feeling? Welcome to Center Cuts. I'm your host, Patrick Spray. We are here with Jackie Becker from Up to Eleven Productions. And Jackie, first of all, how are you? I'm doing excellent today. Thanks. <laughs> Chris Mowry, our producer, I'm just thrilled to have you. I think we've already talked for an hour off air. <laughs> so um, <laughs> we, we had to just press play. I believe this is episode 15. We are March 11th. It's actually really funny not funny, just, you know, like Facebook memories and stuff coming up. I think about the productive week I had had this time last year, meeting with several people, including Michelle Bacon to talk about the podcast with the Mutual Musicians Foundation, and obviously stuff hit the fan. But Jackie, we are thrilled to have you. As I mentioned, we talk about our calendar, which has been a little bit weird in this past year. Anything, Jackie, on your calendar just to be music related either personal like stuff going on in the next few weeks months and if the answer is no that's okay too we're all losers oh uh, well i mean in, in terms of live music there's nothing i'm actively working on in the next few weeks however i can tell you for the amount of hours i'm putting in currently that that there will be a lot of live music on the horizon for national touring acts in the Kansas City and Lawrence area. It's it's kind of on fire right now. Like I just can't even stop keeping up with the emails and the gathering of holds. Um, we're announcing a show tomorrow. So then when this airs, you'll all know about it. So the, the one show that's kind of coming back to life that's moving from Liberty Hall, uh, Purity Ring will actually be November 30th at the Granada now. So Ooh. they can't be at Liberty Hall because they have their annual festival of trees at that time. So we're gonna do the Granada because um, the Renata is going to be having a sweet little facelift. So we can look for that in the future for live music fans. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Would you say, I think from, I mentioned Jackie too, I did a little due diligence. I tried to do my homework before we ever <laughs> guessed. There's a, there's a good amount of information about you um, and kind of in some flurries and some different time periods. But in one of the pieces I read, this is usually kind of the busy season, I think, springtime as far as, the smaller clubs and venues we're not talking about necessarily. Is that right? Yeah, basically, you know, March was always South by Southwest. So yeah. everything had to funnel through the Midwest to get to Texas, you know, to get down to Austin. And so it's usually a hugely busy time. It's, it's slowed down a bit over the years because stopping at South by Southwest, you know, has maybe changed a bit for some of the acts or, or whatnot. But, yep. but yeah, usually for the club level, this time and then April is huge because of Coachella. And so there's okay. two weeks of Coachella. So you've got it to get out to California. You've got to hit the Midwest too, if you're driving and you're on tour. And so we always see a lot of traffic in March and April, uh, you know, at the club level before summer opens up to festivals and all the outdoor venues and whatnot. When, and when would you typically secure those performances for March and April? Like how far ahead of time? Anywhere from three months to 
15 months. I mean, right now everything is about, wow. year. you know, like I'm confirming shows next March of 2022 and April of, and May, you know, like, yeah. 15 months, you know, again, I'm very new to the music industry. I will say though, I think that sometimes artists, some artists just don't realize or understand it. it you have to plan these things ahead of time. Like, well, I got a, new re- a single coming next week. I need to book a show. And I'm like, that should week. have been three months ago. Yeah. Wow. Or 15, apparently. <laughs> 15 um, is well, pretty far out. And you, you, you know, you have to, you know, you have to hope that you're, what you hear from that artist today is going to be of a financial value and desire for a listener and a fan, you know, in the future. And so it's, it's a, you know, I always joke that I don't gamble ever, you know, at a, you know, I don't go to the slots or do any, or, you know, play blackjack because I gamble with my life every single day. (laughs) That that risk is enough that all that I need, you know, because you are, you're gambling, you're hoping that what you heard is going to really excite and energize fans to buy a concert ticket to want to be in a room to see the performance. Yeah. X number of months ahead of time, you know, that is a really interesting analogy. Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, we're, we're starting to see some things picking up here in Kansas city. Some things have been announced. Chris, you want to just do a a brief rundown on what's going on over at Lemonade Park, which Jackie, have you been, did you get a chance to go out there last year? I didn't go to any shows, but I definitely drove by it. And, and uh, I think almost 80% of the people that get up kids were my friends. So I got every Snapchat imaginable from that show. So it was almost right. like I was there. Oh, yeah. But okay. y'all, did a, y'all did a wonderful job and found a way to have concerts, you. you know, in Kansas City last year to really help those that, you know, A, the artists that needed it, your staff to be working. I mean, it was a little bit of everything and, you know, so much applause and, and, and you know, big high fives to Chris and to Steve and Sean, you know, the crew from the record bar. And, and Wes, and Wes and from Wes. How could I forget Wes? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> my my favorite former, former ska band member, Wes. Yeah. You know? uh, well, Chris has been laying down at, well, not just laying down, nailing down. <laughs> what What's cooking out there, Chris? Uh, yeah, we've been doing a lot of labor out there lately. We've been doing a lot of um, AstroTurf, laying it out and making it making it look nice. Uh, so, yeah, I'm very tired. Uh, but Yeah, <laughs> I see your uh, guns, man. You're getting a workout. Yeah, getting some stuff. guns, getting tan out there in the sun, which is nice. <laughs> um, so we did have some announcements. We have uh, Friday, April 2nd is the, the first night, uh, which is Men of Men, Various Blonde and DJ Stevie Cruz. Love it. Um, Saturday, no, sorry. Saturday hasn't been been put up there yet for some reason on the website. Um, then Friday, April 9th, True Lions, Crystal, Kaleidoscope, and Cujo. That'll be a good one. And then yeah, Saturday, great Saturday, April 10th, The Freedom Affair, performing two sets. Um, that'll be a great one. There is a lot more of those announced. They are um, up everywhere. Um, go check that stuff out on the Lemonade Facebook. Uh, you can find all the events there and uh, on the website as well. Um, I'm going to make an announcement here. I don't, we might have to cut this, but I don't, I don't think we will. But uh, we're going to be partnering with Screenland Armor this year and showing uh, movies every Wednesday starting in May. A lot of fun stuff we're going to be doing with that. A lot of like themed nights and, and things like that uh, make it a, making it fun for people to come out and see movies out there. So that's exciting, Chris. Yeah. Um, I mentioned, I've already got my freedom affair tickets. Center cuts got nights for all of our artists. We have a showcase in June. 
Mm-hmm. Um, the ship is getting things swinging. Jackie, they, they basically took the outdoor deck there. That's now the stage. So people pull chairs up in the alley and Uptown Theater tonight, I think they had like 20 total people to go see Key and Byrne and Mike Stover. I mean, it's just fascinating to see some of the adaptations to try to make it work. I'm not saying people are necessarily making money, but as you mentioned, Jackie, I mean, it's just, it was so soothing for people's souls last year, for the yeah. artists, for the staff. I mean, people just, I just want to get out. Are there any plans for things like that in Lawrence, outdoor-wise, or? Well, with, with Lawrence, um, you know, we have a, a county that has now increasingly extremely low COVID rates, and we've done a really good job in our county to keep our people safe. And so that has meant that, you know, indoor concerts just aren't there yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was uh, a little drive-in show that happened with the Lawrence Community Theater. And I believe that Fally put on with I Heart Local Music. Oh, right. Um, you know, f- for me, I, you know, everyone calls me liability Jackie because I, you know, there's a, there's a safety issue with everything. And, and for mm-hmm. us, drive-ins really weren't a safe space for it because you can't, you know, as a concert, you know, not to sound all gloom and doom, but you know, when you put on a concert, you have to think about a lot of things now, such as weapons. What were they doing before they came inside? You have to be the, you know, checker of them. Do they drink too much while they're inside? Are they having too much fun? Did they overheat? And so to, to, for us, the risk of doing a drive-in and not knowing what's inside their car, because we legally can't search a car, mm-hmm. just kind of, you know, you have to be careful with that. And your insurance company might be like, yeah, no, we're not going to, we're not going to cover that for you. And so the risk versus reward really was, was tough. You know, as much as it would have been amazing to do a drive-through, there's that risk. And then there's also the, you know, with a lot of the drive-ins, it goes through the stereo in your car and I don't want to offer a bad sounding concert to somebody and so, you know, luckily, again, with the, the flexibility in Kansas City, the ability to find an outdoor space, you know, we had something like, you know, Lemonade Park that gave an opportunity for artists and for fans to go see some live music. And again, to employ, you know, some people to work throughout the year versus the rest of us who have mm-hmm. been, you know, shuttered and not working, but working, you know, that kind of thing. So it's a tough proposition. Yeah. So you're not, you're not planning any festivals on Mastery anytime soon? Oh gosh, I mean, you know, Lawrence has the hashtag rise Lawrence and trust me, (laughs) all I want to do is put a stage on every cross street of Mass Street and just have the largest festival that incorporates music and food and records and all of our little shops and all the independent businesses downtown. But we're just not there yet, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen, you know? So there will be, I've heard some rumors about Lawrence that the, uh, with Parks and Rec and the Lawrence Arts Center, there might be some outdoor events outside the Arts Center this summer. So oh, there'll, cool. there'll be some stuff happening. And, you know, I, I hope and believe, at least what we think now that the COVID numbers are under 5% in Lawrence, that like the bottleneck will be able to have a show with 50 people, you know, something like yeah. that. So there'll, there'll be, stuff will be happening the next, I would say by May, we, we should be up and rolling. Okay. With some indoor stuff. I saw a cool show outside Lord's Art Center like three years ago. I think it was Freedom Affair. Chuck Mead was in town with the Grassy Knoll Boys. That's a beautiful little setup.
Welcome back to Center Cuts. We're here with Jackie Becker. Are you still breathing, Jackie? I'm doing great. <laughs> uh, Chris and I, I think we're just we're just giddy over here. We, we usually start this segment just talking about your life. One thing I did not find in my limited, again, limited research, I wasn't like stalking you or anything. I don't think I know where you're from. Are you originally from the Midwest? I am a Midwestern kid. I uh, actually... I uh, was a swimmer in high school and quite good at swimming and ended up attending the University of Kansas on a swimming scholarship. And that's how I ended up in Lawrence. Oh, so I, I think I knew that, but where, where did you grow up? Uh, a, a town called West Bend, Wisconsin. Uh, West Bend, Wisconsin. You don't want to live there now. They, they, yeah, they're, they're very conservative now, and I don't like to talk about that shitty past stuff. So, and you, so you were I'm there through. <laughs> you were there through high school, and then came to KU on a scholarship. Mm-hmm. Can I ask you how many people are in that town, though? Uh, at that time, it was a town of about twenty thousand people. I think now West Bend's maybe up to thirty. Uh, you know, my parents were the teachers, so I had an amazing childhood, and you know, I didn't really see everything else that you know, the evolution of a, you know, you've seen Wisconsin go from blue to red. I mean, it went back to blue, but it was really close. So, you know, it's, it's a different community than it was when I grew up. And, okay. uh, but, you know, I, I grew up pretty standard Midwest and, you know, my mom had the daycare at home and my dad was the teacher and, and uh, I had a lot of fun as a child. I was pretty lucky. Not, not a lot of live music in my life, but I had a lot of other fun things I was doing. <laughs> just a quick sidebar. Did you play water polo as well, or were you just a swimmer? I noticed that swimmers do kind of do both sometimes. <laughs> I, I mean, I was a, when, when I was at KU, we'd play water polo, and I just, I loved it. Because, you know, you just kind of, I don't know, I could keep up with the, you know, because back then there was men and women swimming at KU. Now there's only women swimming. But, yeah. you know, we would play with the, with the men on, on the, you know, on the men's team. And it was just so fun to compete against them and get aggressive. And, you know, you can just put your toe in their suit and kick off and, yeah. you know, you, next thing you know, you've got the ball. So water polos, I wish people would play water polo with me, but I don't have any <laughs> friends that think they can swim the pool to swim and play with me. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, when I was in high school, I played water polo as like a club sport and then went to, that's what I went to college for. Um, I got a half friend oh, really? to play okay, we collegiate are- water polo. <laughs> Oh, that's scaring me. Excellent. That looks like it could be really tough on your, your like rotator, like your uh, shoulder, right? Yeah. So um, now when I throw like a football or anything, I get a pain uh, in my shoulder somewhere. Uh, uh-huh. That was probably a, just an injury I acquired in water polo and just never, it never like came out until now that I'm old and I try to throw something over, <laughs> over, overhand and I'm yeah. like, ow. Oh. Okay. I, I play a lot of kickball now, so I have the. I've, I think my rotator cuffs still work because I didn't. You know, I wasn't a heavy backstroke or a butterfly. I did breaststroke, and so I, I was able to save my shoulders a little bit. So I can ruin them as an old person playing kickball with a kid <laughs> that think I'm young. <laughs> I ask about the small town too, and Chris knows our, our last several guests have been from some pretty dang small. Actually, small towns. About half of our guests, like twenty thousand, yeah. seven thousand. Um, what's your, what's your father, your, you said your parents were teachers. What do they teach? Uh, my dad was a German teacher. And like I said, my mom kind of took care of all the kids in the neighborhood. And then eventually she was a para teaching kindergarten until she retired. And she, okay. my mom is all about the little kids, you know, her daughter didn't have any children, but you know, mom can keep with the kindergartners and 
not me. <laughs> I can't. Yeah, middle schoolers was my sweet spot or high school. Uh -huh. I can't. I can't deal with the little ones. They just they can't make them sit down. They don't listen to you. Yeah, I don't know how my mom did it, but yeah, my sister is a teacher, third grade, and my brother teaches uh, high school theater in Istanbul, Turkey. So I'm the only not oh, wow. teacher in our family. So well, I teach in a different way. So. You'll yeah. love it. I was just so you've got two siblings. That was my next question. Mm -hmm. And they're both teachers. That's, I mean, you see that a lot in educational families. Yeah. But I would argue, Jackie, that's what you do, really. You educate people about kick-ass music and art <laughs> and human beings and the Mike Watt story already. I mean, I'm just going <laughs> to take notes. Oh, uh, I mean, and that's how I see it. You know, I, I, I think it's important. I, I've always, anything that I do, I've always made sure I was thinking about what it means for next generations and the steps that you take and the actions that you make you know, should help teach others and how to give them the opportunity, just like you, to do great things and to feel good about themselves and to learn. And, and so, yeah, I definitely know that I teach. It's just a different way. Cause to be honest, I like the F word and I say that a lot. So I don't think <laughs> I can be a teacher cause you know, no, I would always say one word. <laughs> oh, it's one of the best words in the, you can use it as an adjective, adverb, <laughs> noun, all the other, my wife who's Korean loves it. Yeah. <laughs> it's all about word choice. I would yeah. teach my It's filtering. There are colorful ways to express your displeasure. Mm -hmm. um, and, but, you know, I think you've got that nurturing quality to a teacher that's now you just talked about wanting to take care of people safely, like coming into a drive-in for safety reasons or the people who had too much to drink. Were your parents music bands? Like, you have music in the home? I, you know, that's one of the most asked questions I, I get. And, um, my mom, you know, again, was, was home and, and uh, did a lot of baking. And I always remember listening to show tunes, you know, Fiddler on the Roof and Bye Bye Bird mm. and all that kind of stuff. And on the hi-fi, we had five albums. You know, it was Jim Croce. It was Barry Manilow Live, Fleetwood Mac Rumors. Oh, my God, I have to remember all these. What, uh, Eagles, Hotel California and John Denver's greatest hits. Like those were the, those were on repeat constantly. So I, that was what I had, you know, but like I said, I had these swim coaches that were very much into punk rock music and, you know, we had to drive across to different States to swim. And so you had to have the cassette player and we would just put music on. I'd be like, what's this? And they're like, Oh, this is, like I said, the Minutemen, or this is XTC or, you know, this is the police. This is the cure, you know, echo and the Bunnymen. And so I found music through swimming and my coaches really. And, and it was just one of those things. Once I heard, you know, honestly, punk rock or indie music, the replacements, you know, all that kind of, everything just changed for me. It was just like, what is this? I have to hear this. I have to listen to it all the time. You know, it was just, it just consumed me and it, you Did know, you I came to KU and then next thing, you know, I'm, I'm calling, you know, eight, six, four, four, seven, four, seven all the time. I was that, I was that annoying kid who called yeah. KJ every single time and probably requested the same damn song every single day. But Love that's it. what I did, you know? So. And that's a really interesting contrast. So you've got kind of the singer songwriter. I'm a huge Jim Croce fan, for example, versus, you know, collecting SST cassettes, which Steve and I talked about in an old episode. Huh. Did you, did you, were you, were you exposed to that in middle school, the punk rock influence, or was that more like high school into college? It was, it was, it was high school and then into college. So we had a record store in my town, which still exists to this day, the exclusive. And I would basically turn my stereo on, 
put the antenna out with foil and I could get WMSC, the college station in Milwaukee. And I would just record shows and then replay oh, yeah. them. Well, what band is this? What band is this? Cause we didn't have cable cause my parents were teachers. That wasn't going to happen. And so I would go down to the exclusive and be like, do you have David Bowie? You know, I'm like, I'd go in and like look for the cassette and try to find it. And, I don't recall them being record store snob meanies to me. I, I, I never felt strange doing it. And they, I think they embraced me. And, you know, I've gone back there over the years and one of the guys still runs it. And I'm just like, you changed my life. Like you helped me find music, which led to this career that I have because I was able to walk to a record store as a child and find cassettes. And, and so I moved you know down to Kansas with all my cassettes and, you know, I was the weirdo on the swim team that made the mixtape for the Big 12 tournaments, you know, and that kind of mm -hmm. stuff. And, you know, eventually music found me, you know, the job of it through KJHK. And so it, once that started, it just kind of all fell into place. And I'm almost there. But now tell me the name of the store again in Wisconsin. The Exclusive. The Exclusive. It's called okay. Stay It With Me, The Exclusive. And they have one in Milwaukee. They have them all across Wisconsin, but they had one in West Bend, Wisconsin. No clue why there was one there, but uh, it definitely was life-changing for me. It gave me all the music I wanted to find, which is, you know, the cassettes and then, you know, records. I mean, Echo and the Bunnymen, Ocean Rain was the first real oh. vinyl I bought, you know, so oh, that yeah. kind of stuff. You know, Psychedelic I, Furs, first record, you know. Mirror Moves. Mm -hmm. I I... You know, and I don't, I think sometimes we get nostalgic and think, oh, these kids these days, they don't have what we had. You know, they didn't grow up with that culture. On the other hand, they can get a billion different songs on Spotify or YouTube. We had, but we had MySpace when I was growing up. That's how you found everything and learned right. about new music. <laughs> right. But Jackie, I'm telling you, I mean, I, the cassette thing for me, you know, making mixes, that's really one of the main reasons my business partner and I started the the labels that's what we grew up doing was collecting cassettes and trading I me mean, all those ones remember like the cure staring on the beach singles that had the yeah, whole that was the second cassette ever bought. <laughs> yes all the echo and the bunny and like you would buy albums just because you heard that band was cool you know yeah i mean the ssp thing from steve yeah absolutely i had those you know arga music war i had that you know and and i sure. just you know i just yeah i would make mixtapes constantly that's what i did for my friends and you draw you could do you know do your little art and all that kind oh, of stuff. oh yeah again there was i mean those were your it was your personality really what that kind of stuff you would put on a mix as you mentioned like i graduated from ku in 90 hung around for another year in lawrence and then joined the peace corps in 93 and we could take two suitcases like 40 kilos each and one of my suitcases was like 250 cassettes <laughs> i was just like and the first thing i bought there was a crummy Soviet Union, you know, cassette yeah. player. But then I found like three or four other people, guys, gals. And that's what we did. We just traded, you know. Um, okay, last in kind of musical, did you have any other music stuff? Like playing instruments, singing at church? <laughs> Are these, am I boring with these questions? Yeah, well, uh, so okay. with music and, 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 you know, I, again, I talk about swimming. So my mom wanted me to be musical. I started playing cello when I was eight and piano at age 10. And um, my cello playing actually did really well. We took first in state. We played on the White House steps. I have videos of Whoa. me playing cello on the White House steps. And, Holy cow. <laughs> and uh, piano, you know, I got to the fur Elise level and that was about it with piano. But I think I was wise enough or I had, had to make a choice. I don't know how, which way you look at it, but I knew I wasn't as good at cello playing as I was at swimming. 
And so I just kind of let my cello playing go. I played on a Danger Bob record in Lawrence. That, that was one of the records Ed Rose recorded me. And so that's like my last big claim to fame with my cello. I think my mom probably wishes I played cello. I still have it. I own my cello. I still, you know, you asked me to play something from Bob Mould's first solo. I can play all the cello parts on that. You know, anything from Yellow Submarine, anything with the Beatles, I can play all the cello parts. But it just, it just wasn't, you know, I, I realized that that for me, music is, you know, I hear it and I can, this is, sounds terrible, I can assign a value to it, you know, like I can hear a song and be like, that's going to be really good. And wow, who is this? What are they creating? How does this work? And that's where my talent is with music. It's, it's not me sitting there with a cello trying to be amazing. There are way more creative humans with so much more talent than me in that area. And mm. I'd rather help them make money and have a career and get fans in front of them than me trying to pick up an instrument thinking I can still do it. So. That's, you know, it's a very common thread. And I think in our program, Chris would agree. We, some of us just realize we are music fans, but mm -hmm. we're not going to be artists and yeah. we're not going to try to sing and we're going to do what we can to share the love. Going, yeah. going to KU, did you, what were you planning to study or what? what <laughs> oh gosh. So from scholarship? Yeah, I had a swimming scholarship. So between an academic and athletic, I had two full, basically a full scholarship to KU. Um, yeah. the, the coach I swam under was a terrible human being and you can Google Gary Kempf and read all about that. Uh, so I didn't have the best life uh, swimming those first few years and having incredible parents, they were like, well, do you want to transfer and swim somewhere else? What do you want to do? And I'm like, I just want to be done. And they're like, we'll figure it out. And so I stayed in Lawrence and... Um, Originally, I was going to do pre-med, but I failed organic chem too. And so you can't really be pre-med without that. Mm. And my roommate at the time was like, well, Jackie, you like politics and you're always writing things. Why don't you do that? So I ended up with a creative writing and political science double major at KU. Wow. Yeah, I wow, know. It's, Jackie. I mean, I am. I'm still political to this day and I love to write. So, you know, it, it makes sense. And I'm glad I, 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 that was my path. No. That's our son is 17. And so we're start junior, we're starting to consider, you know, college. And I think a lot of the his peers are into like STEM, you know, science and technology, or they want to be business majors. And I'm thinking, he's, he's like you is political science, he wants to get into philosophy. I don't, I don't know, there are a lot of young males necessarily going that direction. And he's like, well, I'm not gonna be able to get a job if I get a, a good paying job. And so I'm like, dude, that's not what it's about. It's about yeah. You're, you're interested in it. That's why you go continue your education. Yeah. So I started school really, I started school at 17. I started early and you know, I think if I would have taken a year off, I may not have ever gone to college and I would have gotten in a van and just, you know, toured with the dead or something, you know, like it could have been very different. And I think music, I think, Swimming helped me get to the music to help me get through college. Cause that's, you know, again, how I was random, you know, I was sitting when Rudy's used to be on campus behind the crossing and the station manager of KJHK was like, you have a great voice. Would you want to be on the radio? And I'm that kid that, had, you know, called KJHK every week to hear Nirvana school or whatever replacements, you know, Tim, whatever it was, yeah. you know, and I was like, no way, you want me to be on the radio, you know, and, and that happened. And it really, you know, it began everything that I am today. You know, it allowed me to find music and review music and talk about music and interview people for music. And 
and it, it, you know, it just opened that gate and I'm, you know, forever grateful for that experience with KJHK so many years ago. This jacket don't keep me warm, no. This jacket don't keep me warm. It's nothing like your arms, no. But it's not like you used to do. This jacket don't keep me warm. That's what summer was for. But the fall came, then the fall came, then it all came down, all came crashing down. I've been cold since you've been found. I've been low since you in the ground. Yeah. I've been trying to hold on to the pieces you left me, but I'm still hung up on why you wouldn't let me in. Just take the time to call, I will catch you for Do you feel like the, the swimming the experiences and being exposed to the punk rock music there led you to start? looking to KJ or was it, I heard this on KJ the other way? I think it was a combination of both. So I had all those cassettes and there were some swimmers from California on our team who were total California punk kids. And, you know, Gina Brown had, she had the blonde hair and she had piercings and I was like, she's cool. And, and so they had, you know, talked about this venue outside of town and that we could go see a concert there. And, And so it was starting, I think, when I was swimming, because again, I made the mixtapes based on the songs we all liked, and you know, always a little cameo in there. And uh, and then it word was, uh, yeah, exactly. That was on every mixtape I ever did. Cameo <laughs> word up, I loved it. And <laughs> and it, I, I think, you know, swimming ended, and I wasn't sure what that meant for me in Lawrence. But I, you know, again, I switched majors, and then like I said. I was, hang- I was that girl that hung out at the crossing because I wasn't 21 and they didn't card. That's <laughs> and right. so you could sit on that porch on a Friday and, you know, listen to music. There was always music at the crossing. And so if you ended up being able to stay late, you'd pay the $2 cover or whatever it was and listen to the Lonesome Hound Dogs or the Parlor oh. Dogs or whatever those bands were at the time. And, you know, then I started at KJ and it was, you know, I had the three to six shift first and that was weird, you know, because I didn't have a car. I'd, I'd walk or bike to KJ in the dark and at the shack, you know, this, yeah. this creepy place. And, you know, like, am I safe or whatever? But it was amazing. And, and then I'd go to school and eventually they moved my shift to the noon shift. And I was like, I want to do a local music show. And we came up with the name Plow the Fields. And then I was like, we called it Plow the Fields Martha. And I went by Martha and that's where I just, I mean, that's where I first met Steve Tulipana, you know, like, you know, that's when Paw started getting big. So grunge was happening and, you know, a huge season to risk fan. And, and uh, so it just, I just started, you know, it, again, it was so weirdly organic and it was just, I just started keep carving my own little niche for myself where I was like, I want to do this. How about I do this? And, and it just, you know, it all revolved around music and at this point, local music. So. Wow. The field was like 98 uh i started plow the fields martha in 1990 okay god jackie i mean i i know, I know we didn't cross our paths <laughs> so again for me it was coming from suburban johnson county sheltered life going up to lawrence i think my first experience of the crossing was probably seeing ernie locks but wow. hanging out one of the windows there were so many people shoved in there um, and then, like you said, Lonesome Hound Dogs, Frat Boys on Acid, yep. Ricky Dean Sinatra, the, oh, Ricky, the Homestead Grays mm-hmm. would do, you know, unannounced shows because you could get in when you're yeah. underage. Yeah. 
And we ended up getting, um, I started at the Free State in 90. That's so been open for about six months. Grant and Pete Fitch from Paul both worked there. Yeah, for a long and time. And then we ended up renting a place. There was a house behind Yellow Sub and Rudy's that then they tore down. Mm-hmm. Um, and so literally, we'd come out, get a slice of pizza, play hack and sack there, walk over to see our friends at KJ. Dude, you got to play the new flipper or whatever. I'm sure, you know, we had a couple afternoon beers. And then that's when I just got hooked. It was just music. 24-7 jazz house again glass glass onion wasn't doing upstairs um i did a couple of shows up there at the glass onion with kj but we got in trouble doing it so then we had to stop <laughs> so and then you you told me too now you're still involved with kj right yeah it i i <laughs> again i'm gonna laugh because i've lived in lawrence forever And, you know, I've been on all different boards and doing all kinds of different volunteer work. And I've never been asked to be on the exec board for KJHK, the advisory board. And finally, Mike McFarlane asked me last year, and I'm like, about time, 45 years, about time, you know. (laughs) So I'm I'm, I'm on the KJHK exec board. And uh, I have to laugh here. I'm going to grab this. I, uh, like I said, I've been cleaning out my stuff. And... I started for KJHK because, you know, they've been closed. And they had their 40 people. I found all kinds of like old posters. Like here's the Martha's Deputante Ball. With oh, there's Rose Homestead Grays right there. The Mahoot. Joe Worker, Zoom, Homestead Grays and the Mahoots. Like that was one of the first shows I booked, you know. What year is that? This would have been 1991 or 92. So maybe I, you went. I could have been there. Oh, my <laughs> God. I want that. Well, yeah. I, your house is just a treasure trove. Chris and I are gonna stealthily come out there and just ransack. I randomly, I randomly came across uh, a flyer for like one of the first shows I booked at uh, Main Street Cafe, R.I.P. Um, and uh, it was like, man, I definitely was an emo kid. Look at this poster. Uh, That's awesome. <laughs> well, mine was a cut, cut things out, paste it, and copy machine it. Oh right. So, yeah. I have a question for you. Did you attend a PAW show in 1992 at 1108 Ohio Street? <laughs> now, how would I remember? I mean, that was, my glory, Jackie. that was my graduation party. And I guess this is, you know, when, when I really look at it, you know, I'd, we'd done little house shows. I lived with a bunch of architects and one artist. And we were just the wacky people on Ohio Street that had, because you know, Ohio Street always had concerts. On any weekend, you could walk down Ohio Street and every house there was concerts going on. If you remember the paddy wagon, they used to like oh, yeah. drive down and throw us all in it for, oh, for yeah. you know, being too I... loud. And uh, so, yeah, I was like, hey, for graduation, I'm like, I want Paw to play. And that's right when they were getting big. And then John Harrison from the Wilmas, where my neighbor was my neighbor, so okay. he played. And we ended up getting, you know, eight, 10 kegs charging for it. We didn't like, as my roommate said, we made 500 bucks. We paid our rent from it. You know, like I didn't even, you know, it was my graduation party and it was so much fun and weird and perfect. And we made a little money and, you know, I thought I was going to go to grad school to, you know, go back for women's history and, and things like that. And then I got asked to work at the bottleneck and I told my mom and dad, sorry, I'm going to book bands and stay in Lawrence. I'm not going to go to, UNC, sorry, <laughs> you know, so. I, yeah. Jackie, I feel you, because once you're bitten like that, especially when you're involved with the artists or the venues, um, Brett, Brett Mosman at that time, maybe I should bring this up, was with my friend's ex-girlfriend, Chris. I think they ended up getting married. Oh, Chris Hardy? 
Yeah. yeah. That's ex-wife. Yeah. Chris, Chris and I got along very well. I like And her. then Doug Minky <laughs> and yeah. Kimmy. I love I how mean, you're, I love how you're bringing it up and you're like, ah, maybe I shouldn't. Nah, well, we can cut that. And I'm just saying, <laughs> you, it's like, I know the guy or I know the door yeah. guy. Like yeah. again, working at free state, I'm not saying I was giving away free beer, <clears throat> but certainly there are advantages of working there. And when you want to talk to the doorman at wherever, you know, yeah. it was like, I'm off at 12. So I can probably catch that last act at the jazz house. Yeah. Um, so you stayed in Lawrence mm-hmm. and then how did that work? Did you just decide I'm going to start my own business or? Well, I, I, you know, I ran the bottleneck for a long time and then helped Brett open the Granada and it had just sort of hit that point. I was approaching 30 and I wanted to try different things. I'd seen this, these, this weird little dreadlock punk rock kid named Jeff Fortier putting shows every which way in the Midwest. And I was like, mm-hmm. I want to do that. And then I was like, you know, maybe I just want to go on tour. And so I quit the bottleneck in Granada with no real plan. And um, my good friend, Chris Gillespie at the time, um, he now runs Domino Records in the U.S. And at that time, um, he worked for Matador Records. And mm, he was like, hey, I've got this band that Quick Space that's going out with the Ola Tango. Why don't you be their tour manager? And I was like, yeah. And so I, I went on tour with them, went on tour with Super Furry Animals. I had a tour book with MC Paul Barman for six weeks and then it canceled. And that's when everything changed because I'm like, oh, I'm making a living. This is good. And then the money you thought you were going to make right there and i was like you know what What if i start putting all these cool indie rock bands in all these places i just came all these small venues across the midwest and so i started booking the rocket bar in in st louis and the galaxy in st louis and gabe's oasis which i eventually ended up owning for a little while Uh, fail did not work but that's being an entrepreneur and i just started finding little holes and i met the guys from one percent in omaha and started working with them and you know again weird things fall into place. You know, the, the get up kids were just starting to take off and they were my good friends and they wanted to play all these places. So they're like, we haven't done Oklahoma. Can you find us a place in Oklahoma? So I just started 11 kind of randomly cause I wasn't going to be a tour manager. And then we just started doing shows. So it's just weird, <laughs> you know, weird and lucky and random. That was at 30 Jackie, when you decided to do that, take that tour manager position. Yeah, I was 30. I, I decided it was time to change, try something different. So. That's pretty bold. Well, you know, I do think there's something to be said for, you know, things fall into place, but it's also just, it's hustle. It's just, you, 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 you make your own opportunities. And it sounds like you just were, I'm going to go get this. You know, it just, again, it was a love of music. And, uh, you know, I, I always go back to like the get up kids. Cause they did, they, they were starting to get bigger and they wanted to go places and they had this agent andrew ellis who is still you know one of my best friends and lifelong collaborators in terms of the booker talent buyer relationship and it was it was just you know it just happened it was so organic and i was like well i could put this band here i could put this band here and it was all over the phone at this time and fax you know like it wasn't email yet and and you know i'm also really lucky that i'm really good at math (laughs) and so like (laughs) I think being able to do accounting and think about numbers, I think really helped me understand, okay, I have to make this much money to make this work. And, and it just started happening, you know, and, and you just get lucky, you know, you death cab for cuties agent calls me and it's like, they need a place to play, but I couldn't find anything. So I put them at love garden and I fed them and they stayed at my house the first time. And then they became a big ass band, you know, yeah. or, 
or, you know, Fallout Boy or Taking Back Sunday because emo was just starting. And, and so mm -hmm. there was all these, you know, like I had my, I was kind of an indie rock kid, purely indie rock. I was a, I was a snob, <laughs> you know, and then it was like, I found the Get Up Kids and then this new kind of emo and it was just musicians that were so hungry and coming with Warp Tour and working with the people, the wonderful Kevin Lyman family and Warp Tour. And it, it just, it, it just kept happening. You just kept finding another band and, and be like, what's this band thrice? What's, you know, like all these different acts that just got huge Thursday, you know, I heard the use and I'm like, this is amazing. I have to book this band now, you know? And, and so mm -hmm. you would call and you'd be like, do you book this band? I'd like to book this band in the Midwest. And that's kind of how you did it. And I yeah, I will say as uh, someone who came from like the Warp Tour generation, I don't know what to call that, uh, except for Warp Tour generation. Uh, yeah. Like that, like early 2000s, like that's what we, we were in high school. And that's like the music we listened to was this kind, kind of bad punk, punk music and then like <laughs> Screamo and like all these things. But like, I remember, like you brought up Ellis and like, as like a, aspiring MySpace booker who wasn't doing anything in the Midwest, really, uh, who was just trying to do stuff, you know, like was scouring pure volume in MySpace all the time. Uh, <laughs> seeing A. Ellis as the agent being like, that guy, he's, he's the fucking man. Him and yeah. him and uh, Matt Galley. Matt Galley. Matt Galley, xstandx at AOL.com. Yep. I still remember, I still remember his email address. Yeah, those, uh, those they were, they did it all. And and I remember like Newfound Glory and Ellis and I were working on it. We were gonna do it at the bottleneck. And then I worked Warp Tour and Warp Tour was always my judge of what the shirt, what amount of shirts the kids were wearing at Warp Tour. That's how I knew how big the band was gonna be. And yep. every kid at Warp Tour that year had a Newfound Glory shirt on. I'm like, they're gonna be huge. Did them at the Granada, sold out. You know, that kind of thing. Mm. And, but that's what Warp Tour was, and and such a critical part of my success, and and really Warp Tour just exposing, you know, Chris, your generation of of kids to excellent music, and so many of those Warp Tour bands have all managed to have twenty year careers, you know, like the big the big time Warp Tour bands really lifelong careers in music, and it may not be they're playing arenas, but they've made a a living playing two thousand seats and under, and showing that it can be done by being in a van and driving around and finding weird cities like Lawrence, Kansas to play, you know? So. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing. Like the, just how, how many of us from that era, it, even people that were older than me that were, that were in that, like how many of us locally are like still doing stuff and doing like, like I'm at record bar. Casey is at Truman. Eric Fain was do he tour managed American football for a, a run. Like I remember when that happened, I was just like, are you kidding me, dude? He's like, I know I'm freaking out. Uh, so like those kind of things, like that, there was something about that era that dragged us all in and just wouldn't let us go. Like now we're hooked. Now we're in this. Uh, now, now I'm a 15 year old kid who just messaged some band on pure volume and is like, I bet I can get you a Kansas city show for that mm -hmm. date you're missing. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of amazing. And it's amazing how many, how many people in those bands either went on to do like a bigger band or like became this like huge thing or are still in the industry just mm -hmm. in a different way. Like I think about um, Brian Marquis. I hope I'm pronouncing his last name right. I don't think I am. But he, he was in a band called Therefore I Am that I booked at uh, Main Street Cafe. And then when we had Billie Eilish at Record Bar, um, 
there's this tour manager who was around all day and we just like kept like locking eyes a lot and just like chatting and like talking all day and at the end of the night we were sitting down having a beer and then we were like talking and I was like man where do I where do I know you from he's like uh well I was in this band called therefore I am for a long time and uh I ran the acoustic stage at uh at uh Warp Tour for a number of years and I go holy I booked you like in like 2003 there's probably no one there, uh, you know, yeah. like, and it's just amazing. Now he's a tour manager for like the biggest artists in the world. Yeah. I have probably two people like that. One of them is Damon Atkinson who was in braid. And then he went right. on to help run warp tour work for Kevin Lyman management and turned out he was from Grafton, Wisconsin, which is 10 minutes from uh -huh. where I grew up. Our paths just didn't cross, even though we went to some of the same spaces we realized. So we used to always go see, his mom doesn't live there anymore. But back when I'd go home at Christmas, he and I would always go bowling together and like hang out. <laughs> and then the other person is um, Reverend Moose, who is the head of Neva. And oh, wow. years ago, he was he wasn't in a band, but he was touring with a band. I don't remember which one it was, but I helped get them to KJHK. And he just remembers me and, you know, and I, you know, Reverend Moose, that's not a common name. And so when Neva started and I, I you know, started doing some work with Neva, he's like, are you the Jackie Becker from Lawrence, Kansas? I'm like, are you the Reverend Moose? And we realized <laughs> that we met so many years ago. We totally remembered each other and wow. that we had that effect on one another. And it was just so wonderful to see that we were both still really working in independent music and, and how important that is. And now how absolutely critical it is, you know, the yeah. work that Moose has been doing and his love for independent venues and music. And wow. Yeah. <laughs> the, the stories you two, I mean, I just think several things, the connection you felt, right, Chris, that, that warped, like you, you, you wanted to wear the t-shirt of the band. That's fascinating market research, Jackie. Love it. Well, love that's like, it's like, it's still mind blowing to me that I can remember Matt Galley's email, but it was just like, <laughs> it was like an, it was like an, he's at like paradigm now or his own thing or something yeah, anyway, paradigm. paradigm. Mm -hmm. but it, it's like a like you just saw that and knew that he did it by himself like mm -hmm. he d didn't have an agency behind him it was just him right uh because yeah. it's just his email and then he like eventually went to agencies but it's like him mm -hmm. and and uh shapiro all those all those warp tour bookers that i was just like all i was trying to do was trying to take this smaller band that would go great with one of their bands that is already established and try to make that connection work as much as I possibly could. Mm. Even when I didn't know what I was doing when I was 15 years old or whatever. I mean, and that, that was it. I don't, and that's the, you know, I, I'm a late bloomer in most things I've, I've realized. And, you know, yeah, you didn't always know what you were doing. You're just like, well, I want to put this band somewhere. I hope it's cool, you know? And, you know, if there's one, you know, one thing Mr. Jeff Fortier taught me when I was starting to do this stuff independently. He was like, you have to have insurance, Jackie. Make sure you have insurance. And I was like, okay, I need to do that. And, you know, from the get-go of my company, it was really expensive. I mean, insurance at one point was about $25,000 a year. But I, I always made sure I had insurance. I always knew I could sleep at night. If some kid got hurt, I knew I could be protected and protect the band, protect the, you know, protect myself and my people and, and whatnot. But you know, it was those things you don't think about. And, you know, then, you know, you have something happen, which is what happened with Jeff over a couple of, you know, long-term stories I could tell too, but you know, that's how you learn. And he was kind enough to pass that information on to me as I was starting out trying to do things. Mm -hmm. I never even knew when we had a uh, album release for our artist, Calvin Arsenia, we had to purchase insurance for the show at the gem theater. And I'm like, why do I got to do that? Aren't they taking care of this? It was That was a, a new thing.
To us first of all, just about the process of not only booking a show, but then delivering the show. I think recently Nick Spacek shared it on the pitch, but I think it was a Twitter post where you talked about a day in the life of the actual show. But I don't want to get I want to get like leading. How's that work? Do you want to talk about like what what's that process like? Like three months out, you find someone for the venue or the venue's looking for someone to that day of the show. Can you talk about that for a sec? Sure. So so, you know, booking has changed a lot over the years. I mean, it used to just be you book a show, you make a poster and you go, you know, and now it's it's a lot more in depth and there's a lot more steps to it and a lot more people involved. Uh, so really how it, it kind of starts out is you have a booking agent that is working on behalf of the artist that gets in contact with you and is like, hey, we're routing some dates for whenever it is. It could be three months, six months, one year, 15 months from now. Can you find what's called holds? And holds are when you go to a venue, because I'm an independent promoter, so I don't work out of one venue. I work anywhere I possibly can to put in a show. So I'm like, well, hey, I could put this probably in this city, this city, this city, and this city. Let me get some holds at venues that make sense. And so in my brain, I might go, well, I think this band's worth 300 people. And the agent might be like, oh, this is worth 1,200 people. So they might say, well, let's do the record bar. Or they'll say, let's do the Granada. I'll go, well, maybe we should do the record bar, you know, and make sure I can find the right space to put a band in. And, and I, I always, and I, I think I've been able to do what I can do for so long. People call me Switzerland because I just don't pick a side. I want to do a show where that art, I'm going to put your artist where you should be playing. And that's how I, I feel about it. And so we get these holds and then we put in what's called an offer and an offer is how much we're willing to pay this band to, to play. And it could be a guarantee plus a percentage. It could just be a, per, a percentage of the door. It, it, it all varies. There's all different ways that you can basically get paid as an artist through your agent. So once they agree to one of my offers, then the show gets confirmed. And so I may confirm a show six months down the road, y'all ain't going to know about it for a really long time or a year down the road. And, uh, and so we confirm something and then eventually they're ready to do what's called announce the show. And this is when, you know, Chris and I kind of start getting weird twitches over things like, you know, oh, you got to come up with a ticket link, the marketing plan. I need to see your advertising. I need to see what your poster looks like. And, and you know, so the, to allow the artists to have the control of, of their product, because it is, it's, it's them, it's their stuff. They need to make sure we're presenting them in, in the way that they want to be presented. So we put all these things together. We put the show on sale. We get the poster ready. We get this digital media ready. You know, if there's radio, we put it on radio and then the show gets announced and hopefully enough people see it, find it, hear it in one way or another, they catch it that, oh, well, this Friday is when I can buy my ticket. Or if I'm a VIP person and I know I'm on the band's fan club, oh, I could buy my ticket on Wednesday instead. And so that's kind of how all that works. And that could be one month before, three months before, six months before. I mean, you saw like Elton John was announced, what, two years in advance, you know? So it's, you know, so you hope people find it and then buy the ticket on the day it goes on sale. And then you keep doing advertising until the, you know, until the day of the show. And then it's a whole nother thing. So 
It's kind of work you do up to the day of the show, and then it's the day of the show. And that's not even including, she didn't even include the advance. Oh, yeah. The advances, (laughs) the the writers. Yeah, (laughs) all the production stuff. I wondered, Jackie, too, if your math skills are just also helping you with like the logistics and planning there, because it's, that is such a fascinating process that I just don't think the typical concert goer even thinks about. And when you think about, again, a, a place like the Bottling that pretty much has live music every night or a record bar, every single one of those shows, and even two, you know, if there are two, three people on the bill is going through all that just to get to the show. We're not talking about the artists like rehearsing and practicing and schlepping their gear. And then the, okay, so now it's the day, right? And if, are you usually at the shows? How does that work? So back in the day, I would do everything. And, and it's just, it's become, as Chris can vouch, like there's just a lot more steps now to, to getting everything to run. And in my brain, I realized I could train someone to represent me and my company to take care of the band at this venue that we're at that day by having someone else do that portion sure. of, of the work. And so that person, as Chris was saying, they're the ones that when the band reaches out, they do what's called the advance. So they make sure the bands are aware of the venue's limitations because they may send you a rider that is supposed to be for the Sprint Center when they're playing the record bar. And so you have to kind of whittle it down, give them information, Mm -hmm. make sure they know this is when you can come in to load in your gear. This is when you can do a sound check. This is when doors are going to be. And here's how much food we can give you, (laughs) you know, because it's, you know, the rider and things like that. And so I have a person come that does all those things and hopefully has already given the info to the, you know, to the venue and they open the doors for us on time and we get everything going. And so I don't usually do that much anymore, but I do, I love production. Again, it's the same thing where I love creative writing and math. Well, in music, I love to book bands, but I love to run gigantic events. And so, you know, you'll see me out at, you know, Providence Amphitheater, AKA Sandstone, you know, I run large events out there. I help run bluegrass in the bottoms. I help do festivals in other places across the country if I can, you know, like I'll always come out and help run an event because I love a challenge of, oh, here's a giant parking lot. What can we do to make it work? And and Mm -hmm. so I I like to do that too. So I miss running my shows. Uh, Productions are really long, hard, grueling work. I mean, you're the first one there and last one to leave. And I love it but I can't do that every day and book all the bands too. So I, I kind of had to give that little, at least at the club level, give that up to other awesome humans that help run our events. No, it's smart. It's just, you know, you just, you've got only so many hours in a day. It's physical too. You know, you're yeah. on your feet. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about, again, I just don't think the typical concert goer realizes it, it's not a, it's not, there's not some huge profit margin, even on, even on, even if everything works out perfectly, <laughs> there's, there's not some, this glamorous, you know, wow, we made all this. And so when you see kids today, maybe they just don't value live music as much, you know, like, Oh, I don't want to pay I, I don't $5 know. to go see a show, you know, but it's like I, all these steps took place. Yeah. I don't know if it's, it's kids. It's just kind of people in general. That's why like, it's really hard for me it's it's tough right like doing door and doing production side stuff because when stuff like somebody's just being disrespectful in the room it is like incredibly hard not to take it personally especially yeah. with because you put so much time in right like you've right. Put, it's it's not just that day right like right. people don't understand that you've been answering emails and going back and forth for yep weeks months you know yep. whatever yep. um so i, I, I think, think it's just kind of 
I just, the layman just doesn't really understand the amount of work I think that it goes into. Like, I, I still love that, that meme uh, of uh, like what people think is going on backstage and what's actually going on backstage. And it's like just a bunch of dudes on their phone. <laughs> like yeah. They're just like looking at yeah. their phones. It's like, it's not, not this big, like, it's not as glamorous as like movies and the 80s sure. metal made it out to be, you know, sure. it's not like you're, that really. Your crystal eyes down. It can be, but it's not, it's usually not. Okay. It, yeah. R- right, rarely, so then the last one in two is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, you're sweating. Yeah. <laughs> your physical labor. Yeah. So last one then too, Jack, before those last two. Um, obviously the pandemic's affected you. I mean, as far as the record label, we're crushed. We sell our CDs and LPs at shows. It's as simple as that. Of course, we sell off the website. Is there a way you can just kind of summarize how this has impacted you and or what are your thoughts moving forward rather than us, you know, feel sorry for ourselves here? Well, you know, I, I think, I, I, you know, it's, it's been really challenging to explain to anyone who isn't in our industry what it's like to within, honestly, two to three days, your career was gone. I mean, literally... Yeah everything shut down and it was gone, completely gone. So something that I have come complete, my love of my life, live music was ripped away from me. And who knows when it was going to return. You know, I, you know, luckily after in about the month of May, I was like, I'm going to quit drinking too. Cause I remember like being really sad and stressed and seeing these COVID numbers going up and realizing live music was not coming back for a long time. And I was sitting out front, yes, walking my cat um, and my neighbors were biking by and I, I had just started crying. Like I just, I just started bawling because I just didn't, I didn't, you know, it had been two months, almost, you know, March, April, yeah, three months basically at that time. And I just didn't know where we were at and it was devastating. And it was, you know, mental health wise, the live music industry, we all are going to need a lot of help, you know? I mean, as yeah. well, first response, as well, everyone needs a lot of help after all of this, but you know, the, the thing with it was we kept moving shows. We kept moving shows. You know, I found ways to keep myself busy. You know, I made hot sauce. I did vegan pop-ups. I did different things to keep me busy while we weren't doing anything. You know, but even on the flip side, you know, how creatives and live musicians have had to change, you know, like live music back in the day, you know, they would make a lot of money on their records and whatnot. And then things change because of streaming, then 75% of the revenue now switched to, to touring. Well, suddenly in 2020 touring went away too. So artists are just getting screwed left and right. Yeah. Where they can't make any money because Spotify pays point oh 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 one four five cents or whatever it is. Yeah. And you can't sell a record because you're not on tour. You can't sell your merch. Yeah where does all your creativity go and, and who's mm-hmm. going to buy it, you know? And, and so it, it's, it's just been hard all around and I know we're going to get through it. And there've been so, again, the creativity and the pivot of, of venues and, and musicians, you know, be it through streaming, be it through, you know, any kind of concert outside, wherever they were doing, everyone's I think been working together, you know, very separately, obviously, but still together to hope we all can keep everyone afloat. Yeah. And, and I, I hope, you know, it feels like we're getting through it, but I don't want to make any assumptions. You know, there could be another surge if there aren't enough needles and arms and not enough vaccines getting to where it needs to get, or people not wanting to take it. 
um, and that's, you know, I think I said earlier, that's my biggest fear is that we have this next surge because we open up concerts outside or we open up to 50% capacity or whatever it is. And we have another surge of cases through the new strains that's going to push clubs back even further. Yeah. And it's the, club, the, the little clubs, the small independent DIY clubs that have been whole, you know, first to close still aren't going to be able to open or open halfway. And then we close again. So I hope that doesn't happen. I, I have to believe we're going to, we're going to get our numbers down and be able to have events, especially indoors in these small, wonderful DIY spaces and independently owned venues where musicians and vans pull up to play. And, yeah. and that's what I hope for. So. And you, you mentioned Nito and then of course Neva, I'm sure you're involved with them. Um, I, we, we're trying to, you know, work with the city and local, local businesses here too, to understand the value that these independent venues have. We're not talking about Sprint Center or, or Sandstone, right? We're talking about the, you know, the 200 to 300 places that, that help these artists develop their career. They're not going to be jumping to Kemper Arena or to Kemper Arrowhead or whatever. And they're, they're so valuable as far as tourist economy, whether it's the people coming in from the suburbs, we can call them tourists or, um, you know, people from other states that want to come visit. Have you, you, on a scale of like one to 10, and I don't want to put you in the spot or like, or is there a time period when you think like it could work out getting back to, I started to say normal, but. I mean, I don't want to ever use the word normal ever again. Cause I just, I don't think it's right. And, 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 you know, but I think we just have to accept a, this new reality, which is, you know, public health is important and we have to understand that and respect that, that it, it can kill people. And so, you know, I, I think we're coming back. I think it's summer. You're going to see lots of outdoor events. You've seen all the festivals that are still being announced, you know, and if the SOS money starts coming, which from SBA today, I saw they're saying hopefully April now. If that happens, well, then money will get flowing. And then as long as we can do things safely, we'll be ready to go again. And, and you, know, you know, again, how interesting is it that it took a pandemic to get a bunch of independent venues together, to get a bunch of independent yeah. booking agents together, to do Nido and Neva, and to be badass motherfuckers, you know, and, and yeah. get to the Senate and get to Congress and hit up, hit up our representatives and push them to see how critical live music is to again, the economy globally. And, you know, I spent years in Lawrence telling our city commissioners and, you know, leadership Lawrence, I speak at it every year. I'm just like, someone comes to Lawrence to see a concert. They buy a, a coffee, they probably go to dinner. They, they stay at a hotel, they get gas. They probably stop at Love Garden. They shop across the street at 1313 Mockingbird Lane, you know, cause all these different pieces come together. They say that, you know, for every, you know, dollars spent on a concert, $12 is spent inside the community, you know, mm -hmm. and it, it's, it's, it's critical to communities that a, a concert is this, this venue is this center of a, a neighborhood, you know, so that's why there's a coffee shop there. That's why there's a record store there. That's yep. why there's a cool restaurant in a small brewery or a distillery or a clothing store all in the area because music brings people there. And it's the one thing I think we've seen during this, that live music's irreplaceable. It cannot be duplicated. It cannot be anything other than what it is, which is this emotional, physical, mental, beautiful experience that you have with these people around you that you may or may not know that you sweat with, you scream with, you hug with, you mosh with, you know, 
you reach out to that, the relationship between the fan and the artist, there's nothing like it. It can't be duplicated. And that's the one thing we've learned is everything else people could pivot, restaurants could reopen. There, there was you know, different ways every other business was able to reopen, but live music didn't. And so I hope people, you know, the government obviously saw it as long as the SOS money gets out there, we hopefully will make it through financially, you know, which then means artists will get paid people will get paid. Venues will start making money again. You're like, there's enough in the pie to go around for everybody. I think at this independent level, if SOS money finally starts getting to all of us. Yeah. Jackie, that's a beautiful summary right there. Let's, let's kind of, if you need to take a break for, a second, for quite a while, but it, it's no, a lot to talk that's, about, that's, you know, that's freaking awesome. That I think it was the KCTV five interview you did last spring. Oh, gosh, I forgot about that. I listened to that <laughs> and then basically presented the same thing to the mayor. Like, Dude, it's the coffee shop. It's the Uber driver that brought yeah. it. It's an I ecosystem. That. Yeah. It's the ecosystem here. And it's been taken out. And people don't realize there's a doorman. There's a sound guy, sound gal. Center Cuts. We're here with Jackie Becker coming to you live from the home of Chris Mowry, Jackie's lovely space. I wish you could all see the badass concert poster she's got behind her and me in my humble abode. That was a great little segue there. Jackie talked a little bit about her life growing up, Wisconsin, coming to the University of Kansas, getting hooked on punk music through the swimming coach her continued journeys through music in Lawrence and then starting her own production company, basically. Um, you left off there talking a little bit about how you, you've in the past talked with city officials in Lawrence about the value of music and how it's important to the economic ecosystem. What's something you, you love about Lawrence or something you think is great? It does not have to be music related either. <laughs> and we're cheating because normally it's about Kansas City, but Jackie gets a hall pass. It's um, close enough. It's all... Oh, Lawrence is, Lawrence is awesome. It's a unique. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, I never, I always laugh that I, I stayed, you know, that's very strange to think. My brother always thought I'd be the world traveler, you know, and I'm the one who kind of put roots in Lawrence and, and, you know, why not? We're in the middle of the U.S. You can get anywhere you need to get to by driving and airports right there. So it works. But, you know, if you know me in Lawrence, I, I think there's a couple things uh, that, you can, you know, obviously live music is my life, but outside of that, I, um, there's something called the Caw Valley Kickball League and we've been around for 20 years and I am now officially the oldest female player in the league, <laughs> but, um, you know, we play kickball on Sundays and uh, we have 36 teams and we do a lot of good for charity. You know, we have an organization each year and we usually give about $10,000 to 
be it the Humane Society or Just Food, where I volunteer and, and I'm on the board for. And um, it's a really amazing thing. It's, you know, up to, you know, we have this thing called Game of the Week that 500 people used to attend at Hobbs Park in Lawrence and everybody cheers and you're watching old people play kickball highly competitively and you, we sing, you know, take me out to the ball game at the seventh inning stretch. And it's something really special to me and it's something that's very uniquely Lawrence. And so I think that's something I love about Lawrence. Um, you know, I, I ride my bike everywhere. I'm that weird person that shows up in, in her black hoodie and her black pants and her black t-shirt and my helmet with stickers all on it. And I park in front of the Granada or the bottleneck because it's a lot easier to bike to all the venues in Lawrence sure. all within a few blocks than it is to get in my car. And so I ride my bike a lot. And, uh, you know, Lawrence is, you know, it's a college town. So there is always unlimited creativity here. And there's mm. always new kids here having that moment like we all had if you went to school, that that sense of freedom of being in this place without parental supervision or adult supervision in your life and learning to make choices that hopefully will be the best for you as you grow up, you know, as you learn to be who you want to become. And so there's there's that there's just that richness of of young people here that really makes Lawrence very special and those students may come and go and they may not recognize until later that, oh, they ate at this great local restaurant or they went to these venues that maybe they don't find in the new city where they end up in. But, you know, in Lawrence, we kind of have one of everything. You know, we don't have a lot of everything, but we've got one of everything. And, and that can make it pretty exciting and enjoyable. And, and, you know, it's a community that's very accessible and, and, uh, you know, to its credit right now, you know, I think we're at what, 25 or 20% people vaccinated, you know, we've got our COVID numbers down, people want to wear masks in this community, we work together. And I, I think, you know, I can see that now that the depth of care in this community that we were a city that wants to do well for our people and continue to work at it. Lawrence, I mean, really has a history of being pretty dang progressive. Uh, Chris, was that Judy that mentioned it was like the Berkeley of the Midwest was, was like the nickname? Yeah, um, I think and, it was Judy. Uh, quick thing, it's something about like coming back. Uh, there's like something to Lawrence that um, I've never fully grasped because I've never, I've never been out there for a long period of time. But like Devin and I were just there visiting her parents and this is before everything shut down. So I say just there, this is a year and a half ago. We lost a year. <laughs> yeah, uh, and this was right after the NBA playoffs were, or the NBA players were going on at the time. And we went to go see her family. Uh, and then like that evening, we were going to stay the night there. So we just went out for a little bit and we went into the replay and went out back and there's Joel Embiid with his like girlfriend and like five people. And I'm like, yeah. what are you doing? What are you doing here? Uh, yeah. But it just does like, I, I've seen so many like former KU basketball players like come back and just like hang out. Like, I guess yeah. if you want to get away um, and you're Joel Embiid, you're seven foot two or whatever, however tall he is. Uh, and you don't want to be in like Vegas or wherever, or he's in Philadelphia now, but like wherever you would normally go party and you want to be like, I want to just go back to like relaxing and chilling and not worrying about anything. I guess going back to Lawrence is a way to, you know, unwind, I guess. Um, and then, and then yeah. I had a, a question, um, because when I, when I was coming up uh, in the music scene, or at least maybe this is just the way it seemed, it was like you had to go to Lawrence in order to have a good show. 
or or in like Kansas City, there wasn't like the spot, I guess. Um, and t- until like I, I felt like because the first show I ever booked was at the Hurricane, uh, and that was when it had already changed hands and was kind of just whatever at that point. Um, but there wasn't really anywhere to go. Uh, like Altorion was falling apart. Like there was just like there wasn't much. Uh, and I felt like for a long time it was like you got to go to Can- you got to go to Lawrence, you got to go to Lawrence. And I almost feel like it's like kind of almost flipped like the opposite way. Um, and I don't know what that, what, why that is exactly. Well, how, how I, you know, I, like I called myself a late bloomer. I think Kansas city is a late bloomer mm. in terms of the Midwest of really finding itself. Yeah. And I, you know, in terms of going to Lawrence, <laughs> you know, back in the day, I think one of the things was, you know, we had the outhouse. So you had an all ages space. Yeah. And then you had the bottleneck, which was also all ages. Right. And, and Kansas City was always 21 and over. And, mm-hmm. yeah. and we were able to change that with the Beaumont Club, you know, because we were able to have a catering right. and a liquor license, you know, so I, and, you know, the El Torian, you know, there was the weird cage that you drank PBRs in, you know, like yeah. all ages, you know. Yeah. And so it, it took, I think it took Kansas City some time to to catch up to Lawrence because it just happened you know and again it was it was all a case of right timing it took the the Jeff Fortiers of the world you know coming from the east coast and ending up in Kansas and wanting to book bands and then Brett Mosman and myself you know being like we're the bottleneck and then you know you have Liberty Hall wanting to do things and the crew out the Milsteins and and you know Rob Fitzgerald back in the day and Tim and that whole crew of people wanting and being open to doing shows and you know, we started doing festivals here, you know, and so it just, I just think we were a little ahead of the curve of everybody else yeah. and everyone else is caught up now. And that's great. You know, there, yeah. there's more opportunity, more places to play. And, and, um, and so that's sort of, I think how I see it, you know, and I think, you know, like Kansas city had a, is, and still continues to have an amazing food renaissance, you know, I right, think yeah. Kansas city food, I think started happening there first. And then music, I think, caught on you know mm. became next where i think lawrence we had the music and now you know we're starting to get the food too you know so you know I, but again i think it's all these things that are involving small local independent thinkers mm. entrepreneurs who who want to push the limits to have the freedom to do what they want to do the way they want to do it and yeah. mm-hmm. and so i think kansas city has caught up now so. i think the exploratory part you touched on jackie though and lawrence you know i i moved away in 93 and then came back to Kansas City in 2005 from Tokyo and brought my wife to Lawrence. I mean, I would have taken a teaching job there if they paid anything. And there's just so much competition with the kids, but it was like walking back in time. Same crew at Free State, I mean, <laughs> same kids hanging out on Mass Street, same stores, but also seeing the entrepreneurship and, and the community. I, I love the kickball. Where, where do you all play? Uh, well, we, like I said, we're 36 teams, so we play on Sundays, and uh, normally we're at uh, Holcomb Park in Lawrence, we play at Lions Park in North Lawrence, and then we have what's called Game of the Week at Hobbs Park, which, you know, is a few blocks from my house, and so, uh, you know, Hobbs Park is at uh, 11th and Delaware, and okay. it, it has, it was the, uh, basically, it was a baseball field back in the day, and the Negro Leagues played there, actually, I've got some, we've done the whole, the Negro Leagues done the history on it, and uh Ooh. If you go to the Negro League Museum, there's actually a picture of Hobbs Park um, near the near the I think second base back. There's a little picture of it uh, as yeah. you walk through the museum. But I was like, "That's Hobbs Park! Oh my god!" Really? And so that's where we play kickball, 
And, uh, you know, again, it's, you should come some Sunday. We'll, I mean, we can't do it this summer, obviously. We can't have that much, much gathering, but I'll hit you up in uh, 2022 and make you come to game of the week. We've had band, like the sluts have played. Um, Matt Pryor played kickball. So Matt played with his daughter. They did a, uh, the national anthem. Uh, Mike Buckholz's metal band played one year because cool. Josh Hunt and myself, we decided we're going to have some metal music. We're not allowed to have bands that loud anymore, but we tried it. <laughs> cool. yeah, I love that. I think Dylan Guthrie, when whenever I was uh, with the Pink Royal guys, he would always, I, I think we were trying to schedule practice and we were like Sundays and he's like, I can't do Sundays. Kickball. We're like, uh, kickball? kickball? <laughs> what are you talking about? But like just not knowing how big of a deal it was, you know? Yeah. Well, and we all play at Hobbs. It ends at 11. And then we all go, we, you know, we, I don't anymore because I'm old now. But, you know, we DJ at the replay. So it'd be like Sean Wilson from Beowulf, myself, this guy named Joel Kelly. Beowulf. Beowulf. Oh <laughs> we DJ and we pack the replay on a Sunday night. We'd have hundreds of people just dancing with us on Sunday nights, you know, after kickball. And so it was just, it's this strange cultural family thing. It's towny time, you know? And, uh, and so, yeah, you can't, can't have band practice on Sundays because kickball starts at five. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Patrick, are you, are you familiar with Bayo Wolf? Scott Bayo, Scott Wolf? Um, I'm familiar with the epic. <laughs> the, yeah. <laughs> no, I am not. Scott Bayo and who? Scott Wolf. <laughs> it was like, so it made a band called Beowulf. <laughs> yeah, it was just it's so silly. It's silly, but it was fantastic. It was a lot of fun. They to... would always open for like emo bands and stuff because it would well, be like, "What do you? Well, what do you Sean, put with this?" Sean Wilson worked for me, and Rob worked at the Granada, and so they wanted to play with them. You know, they didn't make music that fit, but damn it, they loved every time I die. They were going to open for every time I die. You know, they yeah, they, you know any and the thing is they never cared about getting paid. So I could put them on any show and it was just fun to watch people react to two dudes, you know, playing a keyboard and a lot of screaming. And it was amazing. And it's and good time. Sounds jock jams. Like it was a lot of noise and then jock jams. <laughs> so it was, you know, they were just a really creative act that again, a two piece band, every, every touring amp band's like, great, let them open up. They don't take up any room. If I don't have to move anything even better. So yeah, right. they were kind of the, the house band for a while in the area, but uh, okay. <laughs> they were also our DJs at the replay. So it was fun. on my toast yeah it's that kind of morning not much to do or say individuals go their own way people change like seasons changing yeah it's that kind of story we were more than smoke and mirrors oh i've touched you myself with these two hands i can feel my heart beat loudly oh i miss you myself be hard now you see now you don't what's something Kansas City slash LFK industry I would say music industry need could do let's just pretend the pandemic hasn't happened um, could do better room for improvement any thoughts on that Jackie I mean I think like hopefully 
everything those of us who are white people of privilege have seen this year is Black Lives Matter and Trans Lives mm -hmm. Matter. And I think as a live music community, we need to identify that. We need to acknowledge that we have probably not given enough opportunity and assistance and we just have to find ways to work on finding greater representation, greater equity in live music. And that's down to who hires to workplaces to make sure that people of color, to make sure that women, that, you know, any, any human that can find a job and has a chance to move up the ladder and have greater opportunity. That means to find greater and more music anywhere we can and booking anything and everything that we can by all humans, especially marginalized humans who are creating music, who have probably had to work 10 times harder than I had to work as a white person. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think I'm seeing in Kansas City, I think it's working. I think there's a, a really positive sense of community of, I hope, and what I'm seeing and from what I, you know, again, what I'm watching online is that there's really good representation. I think that you're seeing it at the record bar. I think you're seeing it in certain places. I think, you know, Shuttlecock Magazine, I think they're doing good work. You know, they're, they're working on that and, and thinking about equity. And so I think that's what we need to work on. And I want to work on that in Lawrence for sure. I think it's a, it's a big thing, you know, is, is fair and equitable representation in the live music industry. Yeah, I'm actually meeting Aaron with Shuttlecock Night to hand over some dough for an ad and they're going to do a print version of the paper. Um, and of course, Folly Afani in Lawrence, I Heart Love. Would you, would you say that, because um, there's so many segments of the music industry, right? Whether it's the artists, the venues. What about from a promotion, promotional aspect? Do you see representation amongst promotion companies, whether it's people of color or women or transgenders being involved in booking shows or agents or? You know, I, I really hope in the pivot of life of this year of the pause that we all took that we've all taken note of that. And, you know, I myself as a, a cis white woman need to work harder and I need to do better at that. And that's an important factor. And, you know, I know I broke boundaries as a woman in the nineties. Not a lot of women were doing what I was doing. And yeah. I was really great at hiring a lot of other women and giving them great opportunities, hopefully to, to find careers in live music. And I need to work on that myself, you know, and, and I need to think outside of just hiring women, you know, I need to look beyond that myself and I'm down to, you know, get better at it. And I need to do that. And, uh, you know, I think that the Granada and Lawrence has been, you know, very forward with Black Lives Matter and how we hire and how we make sure that we're finding safe and equitable spaces for everybody, you know, gender neutral bathrooms, you know, we've had those at the Granada now for a couple of years, bottleneck is going to mm. have a gender neutral bathroom, you know, ways to make coming out to concerts where you have to pay for a concert and to feel safe. And I, I really want to push for that. You know, obviously the white schoolhouse in Lawrence has yeah. started work on that. I think that's an excellent safe space, a DIY space for all. And I really hope that can transfer into the larger venues in our community and in Kansas city too. So. You, you got to know you're a role model for a lot of people and an inspiration. I think, you know, again, like you said, in the nineties, I imagine there were not necessarily a lot of, women doing what you decided to do again at age 30 and nuts. <laughs> um, but 
I, I think that's important. I think it's important that those stories are told. They're not just from the past. Like this is, this is really happening. I wonder sometimes, um, again, not just in the people that you're, 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 you're booking, but also like the venues, do you ever have conversations with them about those kinds of things? Like you're, I mean, I get it. It's a country bar. So you're booking country music. You're a heavy metal hair bar. So, you know, there's going to be certain styles that lend itself towards, you know, I guess particular demographics, but do you ever have those conversations? Like your bills seem to be bro heavy or, you know. Uh, it's, it's starting. I mean, you know, I, I think I always did the gender thing. And, and as you learn and, and as you try to work to be anti-racist every day in your life, you then go, oh, well, I always thought about women, but I didn't think about anything else, you know, and mm. I need to do better than that. And I think we all, at least in Lawrence, we're all talking about it. It's, it's, you know, mixed bills were always one of my favorite things, like put mismatch all these different things together and let's see what happens. As long as the space is safe for all the people then who want to watch the show too, you know, and that's yeah. a big part of it. So, you know, I, I think we, you know, I think we need more resources. I think we need to pay, you know, all the incredible humans that are out there with all the different podcasts and, and, and ways to learn how to be anti-racist and how to be, you know, more equitable in the world and with live music. And, and I, I think we're going to work on getting there. It's definitely something we all talk about and it, it's, you know, the work has to be done and change has to happen because this next generation of kids knows you know they mm -hmm. know and they're going to want to go to venues and see acts where they know they can be safe and be the humans that they are yeah and i tr truly believe that the venues that i work out of that we're working on that and we want to create those spaces and i know myself you know anyone that knows me i don't book certain bands and i i don't because if you know what if you seem racist to me or you don't talk about women in a way that is safe I don't want to have anything to do with you you right. know and I need to stick to that you know I don't want to bend and be like oh I'm going to book this act when they have a history of of white supremacist language or something or have mm -hmm. been known to harass women you know or be anti-gay or anti-trans I can't do it any you know it is mm -hmm. unallowable money should never come first it needs to be people first Mm -hmm. Well, and you mentioned it before, I think that music just brings people together. And so providing a safe space mm -hmm. for different artists, different audiences, different styles of music, that is the beauty of it is that anybody can like any kind of music, mm -hmm. you know? So, wow, Chris, we're really getting some winners. Um, I'm <laughs> Jackie, it's such a pleasure talking with you. I remember back to meeting you a few years ago. I think you were on your bike that day as well for coffee. And I'm like, hey, I started this record label. We want to book one of our artists. What can I do? And you, you listened to me rather than laughed at me. I really appreciated that. Um, I, we want to wish you, of course, uh, great to see you in good health too. <laughs> you need to be healthy and strong get that vaccination, keep people safe. We are looking forward to being at one of your unbelievable performances as soon as safely possible. Um, Chris, thanks for, thanks for working the boards as usually. I'm, you two, I think you could just run this without me. I should have just sat on the sidelines and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and kept you two on track. Um, we needed you to tie us together and, and, you know, I just can't wait to get out to Lemonade Park this summer. And, and, uh, you know, I was, you know, 
I was very cautious this past year, so I didn't really take any risk because I have, you know, family members that could have been at high risk and I needed to be, be there for them if something happened. So I didn't do much, but you know, vaccinations are here and I'm ready to come on out and I, it'll be nice to not have to book a show and just enjoy a show. And I'll be able to do that at Lemonade Park. That sounds so lovely. It's a date. Yay. (laughs) All right. Thank you, Jackie. Thanks, Chris. Kansas City. Stay safe, stay strong, peace out.